you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What these young bloods have to understand, that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. And this is part one of how to bet NBA MVP. We talk about MVP a lot on this podcast. We make a lot of money betting MVP. We've done it in the last two years and come out pretty well. Through us three years, really, we've absolutely killed it. So uh, we're going to talk today and we're going to talk about the process of betting MVP. We're going to go over the guidelines for who wins, who doesn't, why, why not, the voter process, all those types of things. And to do that, I brought on Brandon Anderson, NBA Futures Analyst. You can catch all of his work at the Action Network and in the Action Network app. By the way, that app is the best way for you to track your bets. You get up the second information where the bets and money are coming in on. You get all of our great podcasts. You get all of our great content. You get all sorts of cool stuff. Make sure to download it right now if you haven't already, the Action Network app. Also, make sure to check out our YouTube page. Go to YouTube and just search for The Action Network and find our YouTube page. Give us a like and subscribe and catch a video version of this show. Uh, so you can see my lovely bookshelves behind me, uh, which my wife designed in my Lonzo Morning signed basketball in the background. Um, and as well as you can catch all of our great shows on there as well. So do us a favor, go to the Action Network YouTube page, give us a like and subscribe, turn on notifications for all of our live shows. On today's episode, we're going to break down, like I said, the ways to bet MVP. How do you approach that? And no one better than Brandon Anderson to break all this down. He and I have got similar Mostly the same, but a few things. I've learned a great deal about who to bet and who not to bet for MVP from Brandon. Uh, so, Brandon, we're going to start today, and this is part one. We're going to talk about the process of MVP. If I were to ask you, what's like the number one thing when you're betting MVP? What's the one thing that you think you should keep in mind? Oh, man. You're making me do one thing out of the gates as if I've ever done one thing in my life at any of these things. <laughs> I think that I'm going to have to say (laughs) one thing, this this is going to be recency bias leading into this one. You're going to understand why. My one thing is that for all the things we think MVP is and all the rules we're going to talk about and all the patterns that we have, this is still an award voted on by human beings and it still matters to have a narrative and you have to be the one that the people voting choose as MVP. And for all the analytics and all my numbers and rules, keeping that in mind and not shelving that is key at the end of the day. We'll never know what I could possibly be referring to. We'll talk about the MB vote when we get to part two. I want to go over last year's vote and kind of talk about why we shouldn't overreact um, to what everyone now is like, whoopsie. Um, try, try to warn them. So for me, I think it would be the same thing, which is that this is an award voted on by by people. But I would also say that you need to think about it in terms of the voter block. And so when I ask people, 
because I've done this with fans. Like, who do you think of when you think of uh, somebody who would vote on MVP? If I told you it's media, they say Stephen A. Smith, or they say Mark Jackson, uh, who did commentary for the finals, and those guys do get a vote. One of one of either Doris Burke or Doc Rivers, the on the team for ABC, will get a vote this year, as well as Mike Breen. They'll say basically somebody on television. And the important thing I think to think about is that the voter block is made up of TV partner representatives, of beat writers, of international representatives to the media, uh, of and of analysts. And so you do have this like amalgam and those voters will vote very differently. Now, there's groupthink in terms of one guy winds up getting most of the votes, and it happened again this year. Um, and so once that narrative sets in, most everyone gravitates in the same direction. That's what I think is most interesting is that this should have been a year where there was more pushback to those things. And again, we'll talk about this in the second part about why this was such an outlier. But you should keep in mind that while that the analysts, I think, and beat writers wind up influencing these things, the vote, a lot more than the TV people do. And that will surprise, I think, a lot of people that TV people in general don't tend to move the needle for most of the voting block. Again, I think this was an outlier year in regards to one individual uh, because of a specific thing that he said. But in general, that's something to keep in mind is that don't blanket this with the media because if I'm trying to think of a, of a way to kind of like put this into perspective, um, one of the members of NBA countdown will not vote the same as the beat writer for the Houston Rockets, San Antonio Spurs or Memphis Grizzlies. Those guys will vote. Those people will vote very differently. And so you should keep that in mind. And honestly, the biggest block is made up of beat writers and analysts. And those people are the most influential. I think when we talk about it, all right, let's get into some rules, Brandon, let's start breaking them down. Um, Let's go part by part and I'll kind of give you my feedback on them. Give me your layout for what you think are the guidelines for betting NBA MVP. Yeah. And I think obviously kind of the corollary to everything we've said so far and will continue to say is there's no rubric that's given to the voters that says, okay, here's what we mean by most value. Let me define value for you. Like you, you know, this as a listener, you know this, but you must remember it because that's it. It's just, most valuable players, just MVP, that's it. Whatever you decide as the voter, whatever you think. So all these rules, as much as ever, are, are suggestions. There are things that I'm gleaning from history looking back, but there's no one is giving the voters a list of rules saying, okay, well, here's the things they should check off on the list. So narrow that down to the six and then pick from there. Um, I think it's helpful just to hear the names of who won MVP kind of put in context because a lot of this is all historical looking back so the last five years really we've had the same three dudes winning mvp so obviously joel Embiid last year nicole Jokic two times in a row before that Giannis twice in a row before that and it really has been those same three at the top of the voting as well 10 before that james harden russell westbrook two staffs in a row kevin durant two lebrons in a row derrick rose two more lebrons in a row so I think it's interesting noting all those twos in a row along the way as well. Okay, so I've got five rules for betting MVP just based on the historical trends. I'm going to present each rule, and then we'll talk about is this still a rule and how important is this thing here? So rule number one, as often with many of these awards, MVPs got to score a lot of points. Not exactly profound wisdom here, but I think the numbers are interesting 14 of our last 15 MVPs, so those 15 guys that I just mentioned, have scored 25 points a game or more. Curry was the only one he missed by about a point. So 25 doesn't seem crazy for a superstar in the NBA, but last year, we only had 20 guys score 25 points a game. And, and we'll get back to this, we now have a rule explicitly that you have to play 65 games in order to be eligible to win NBA MVP, only 11 players played 65 games and scored 25 points a game. Here is the entire list. Embiid, Luka, Shea, Giannis, Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown, Trey Young, Larry Markinen, Julius Randle, Darren Fox. That's it. That's the entire list. 
And in the last 15 years, the MVP has come from that specific list 14 out of 15 times. 20 points a game, 57 guys. We've got way more people at that level. 25 has been the magic number. So, Matt, is 25 still the magic number? Notable, by the way, Nikola Jokic, 24 and a half points last year. Maybe a few more points. We love points. Maybe a few points would have put him over the top where Embiid was dominating. Is points still a thing, even in the day of advanced metrics? Yes, I think it's a. I think it's a threshold. Yeah, I think I was just looking at this while you were talking, and I think it's like a really interesting thing. So Embiid led the league in scoring and won MVP in 2023. Harden led the league in scoring and won it in 2018. Russ did that in 2017. Steph did it in 16. KD did it in 14. Um, but then we go all the way back down to uh, 08 for LeBron. So what we kind of have here is like, I don't, I don't think that you need to lead the league in scoring. Like, I think if you're like, this is going to tie into your next point, which I think is kind of interesting about how much, how many games you need to win. Like if you score the most points on the team with the best record, do, is that like, Oh yeah, you're definitely going to win. No, but I think that you're probably top three, so there's probably value in betting on it. So if you if you are putting together your your projections, and even if you're just like, you know, out of top of your head, writing down how many games you think each team is going to win, and you think that one of the players on your top three teams can lead the league in scoring, yeah, you should probably put a bet on one of those people because it is really impactful. I do think the way that I've, I have always described, not always, that I've come to describe a lot of how we evaluate players is you can be great in production or you can be great in impact. And I'm somebody that's always going to value the people that impact things because those are the guys that help you win. But I will say that I get blinded to the production side and the production side matters and that shows in the voting. You do need to be able to produce and the exceptions to this rule, guys like Steve Nash, et cetera, are really rare outliers. You need to have a baseline performance of production in points and rebounds, points and assists, or points, rebounds, and assists in order for you to be considered to be at that level. So uh, I do think that 25 should still be considered kind of the threshold that if you I, – I don't know of anybody – oh, here's a good one. Um, Tyrese Halliburton, right? I think he's going to be one of the most impactful players in the NBA this season. Do I think that Tyrese is going to average more than 25 points per game? Like there's a very good chance that he doesn't do that even by leading the league in in assists, right? Like he can be great in the metrics that I care about and impact things. And the Pacers could be way better than I even think they are, but he scored 21 per game last year. Do I think he jumps to 25? Probably not. And to me, that's a good indication of why he's not a good MVP bet. Yeah, I think similar similar style of player. But if I think of Pete Chris Paul, who I know never won an MVP, but on the balance of things probably should have at some point. I think 07 or 08 was the year he probably should have won. But if you think of Pete Chris Paul in today's NBA, he didn't win one anyway at his time, but I think he definitely doesn't today. I think he makes a lot of like third, fourth, fifth place finishes with his value, and he's got all the advanced metrics on his side. But when he's going to score like 20, 21 points a game, a lot of times it just it, it leaves you a little empty from from what we're looking for. So I think it's a good like as you put it, it's a threshold. So, yeah, I think notably, too, as you said, kind of going back, lots of recent high scores, leading league scores, league leading scores have been MVPs. I think that probably kind of aligns also with a scoring has gone up since the 2000s. Thank God basketball is a lot more watchable now than it was in the era that you have hearkened us back to. And also, I believe it is it our guy, Seth Partnow, that termed the heliocentric thing. Is that him? Yeah, that's him. Yeah. So obviously more and more, especially in the last, what, five-ish years since since James Harden, really, we've got the guys doing everything now. The guys who are just... It, you know what, even if I'm tired, even if it's not a great shot for me personally, it's still a better shot than it was going to be for you, guy in the corner that we're having stand out of the way. So I think as we get more and more of that, we're just going to get these outlandish numbers. And and so you got you to gotta be in the mix on the numbers. So shall I move on to rule number two? Move on. All right. Rule number two, you already alluded to it. Again, not a shocker. MVPs got to win a lot of games. 
Yes, we really are just picking the top scorer from the best teams. That's pretty much how this goes. This century, 24 MVPs so far, 16 out of 24. Two-thirds of them have finished on the one seed. If you expand that out, top two seeds, 20 out of 24, 83% now. Top three seed, all but two, 22 out of 24. Now, of course, huge caveat here because last year, Joel Embiid, three seed. So on the low end of that spectrum, Nikola Jokic the year before, six seed. He's one of the exceptions. Jokic the previous year when he won the first time, three seed. So we are now on the 20 out of 24 top two seeds this century, three in a row, not top two seeds. And of course, the other big exception, Russell Westbrook, 2017, not so long ago. Before Westbrook, the last time anyone had finished as not a top two seed and one MVP was Michael Jordan in 1988. So we've gone a while here, but things are changing. For the century, MVPs average just over a 60-win pace. And by the way, for any of the numbers here, when we look back at like the COVID years, the 2012 year, anytime we don't have 82 games, I just pace it out to 82 for the numbers. So last 15 years, 60.1 win for MVPs, even in the last seven years. So that starts with the Westbrook year as the sixth seed, starting with Westbrook, including the Jokic three seed and six seed and the Embiid three seed and the Russ six seed, including all those last seven year win pace average. 55.8 wins. So even with the lower threshold, we're still looking at a 56-win player for a team. So I think we still, even in this era, need to assume at least 54 wins and a top three seed. That hits 33 out of 35 of our last MVPs. But this really used to be you had to assume a guy could push for 60 wins in the one seed. And in the last three years, that rule would have led you to lose a lot of money in MVP. So my question for you is, is this a rule at all anymore? And how much of it is a rule or how far are we pushing the boundary the other direction? I think when we talk about seeding, I think we wind up getting it a little wrong because a lot of this is like, what does the scope of the league look like in terms of what's the makeup of the conference for you to be slotted into that spot? Um, the 2021 Nuggets won 47 games and finished third. Uh, the 2022 Nuggets finished with 48 wins and finished sixth. Now, obviously, the 2021 team is that's on a, a COVID shortened schedule, right? So um, that's like that's part of the the equation that you got to kind of factor into there. Um, but I do think that like part of, of of where I get to on on some of this is I do think like. It's a 53-win pace, by the way, the Nuggets right. were on in that season. Um, I think for the most part, I think it's going to be rare that we're going to see more winners below 50. That's where I would drop it to. Is I don't think you need 54 wins. I don't think you need 55 wins. And I don't think you need 60 wins. I think a lot of this is if you get to 50, let me go this way. Being the best player on a 50-win team with the metrics and the performance that is um, both narratively and analytically sound is more important than being the best player on a 60-win super team. Because I think we saw with the Warriors this kind of case, and I, I do think to a certain degree the Suns might fall in this category as well. When the perception is that, well, yeah, you won 60 games, look at who you had that changes the equation. And yeah. that I think is part of like how this has shifted is people say like, well, we used to reward winning. Yeah. Well, it used to be that you had to do a lot more on your own to win. And that's who we've continued to reward is if you are by far and away the best player then, and you've done, and you have what is perceived to be non all-star help. I think that helps you a lot more. 2019 Giannis, no other all-stars considered to be absolutely like the guy, right? Chris Middleton wasn't even considered to be as high as he probably should have been at that point. Um, 2020, Giannis, same kind of deal. 21, Jokic. 22, Jokic. Last year is an exception because the former MVP that led the league in assists was somebody's teammate, and he still won. Again, we're going to talk a lot about how that <laughs> vote was wrong. 
uh, or outside the, the context of the norm. I think that you should probably cap it at 50. I think, for example, if Luka Doncic puts up the kind of numbers that he's capable of and he wins 50 games and the Mavericks are a top four seed, then I think Luka has a very good shot at finishing top three, if not winning MVP. That, to me, is like a good example of how to how to contextually apply this is 50-plus wins for the Mavericks with Luka with his numbers is good enough to at least give him a shot at winning MVP that is above probably what the number is currently. Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking of it. I think, too, we've seen now in the last couple of years, and it's too early to tell if this is a pattern or not, but it used to be pretty routinely just about every year we'd have a solid 60-win team. Like usually one team would get to the low 60s. And obviously for a bet, we had teams pushing even higher. But as we look, you and I often define kind of the period of modern basketball as 2011 forward because of the the Heat super team formulation that year. And I think that matters because suddenly when you have LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh on a team, that changes the dynamics a little bit of the league and a lot of it of the MVP. You had the most valuable player in the league suddenly not having to be as valuable because he had the other guys on the team. That's just a thing that happened. And then it happened again for five years with the Warriors, really, especially three of those years. We're now moving, I think, to not that as much anymore. We now are having superstar pairings or sometimes trios, but not as much these crazy super teams, especially a thing we forget, especially about the Heat versions of those teams, is that it wasn't just that they had those three amazing guys at the top, but they had nothing after that. Like those guys at the top still had to be really valuable because the back end of the roster, especially like the six to 12 was, was really scraping the bottom. Maybe we do have that team. Maybe that's what the Suns are this year. Kind of the way that they were like, all right, well, we've got minimum slots. Who wants to play for the Suns this year? So we'll get to those guys and wonder if maybe they fit the formula and is that good or bad. But all that is to say, you might win 51 games and still be the two seed, especially in the West, if you look at the the standings last year. And I think the seeding thing does matter a little bit because you might be a 50-game winner, but you're already kind of set on your playoff seeding. You're already, you're already clearly in like the two or the one because there's so much parity in the conference, if the, especially the way the West was last year, that you might not need to push to get those wins the last couple of weeks. And like it or not, I think that that could still matter. Like, okay, we didn't have to push, and oh, now we finished at 49 and not 50. Who really cares? But I think that five in front matters to, to stay like, oh, well, I don't know. Can we really, can Luca really win MVP when he didn't get to 50 wins? Like, we like round numbers. That's how numbers work. We the It matters when you hit different milestones and 50 is different than 49 and one and two feet is different. So I think my threshold is a little higher than yours still. I don't think I'm quite at 50 and a top four seed, but let me ask this. We'll get back to individuals, but Luca is a really good example. We have now twice in the last seven years, we've had a six seed win MVP. I think that the public discourse is not pleased that we have done that. That that seems to be the retroactive conversation, particularly about Westbrook. But I think it came up again with Jokic this year as he was up for a third MVP. Like, oh, well, we shouldn't have given him two for the sixth seed to start with. If Luka, clearly Luka can put up the numbers for MVP. If Luka or a player like him puts up those numbers and is a six seed. And I think it's got to be six because seven, you're in the play-in, and that will matter. So if you can get to five or six, and you don't have the 50 wins, but you've got the overwhelming numbers, and statistically, you're the best player, do you think people would vote that player for MVP, or do you think there's too much backlash now from Russ and, and maybe a bit of Jokic? Too much backlash. Those two players statistically did things that were such outliers. Um, maybe... I mean, look, here, here's kind of the thing is like, what would Luca, you know, do? And it's like, well, what if he averaged a triple double while leading the league in scoring? Russ did that. That's what Russ did in 2017. This is one of my favorite things to bring up when, look, Russ, Russ is not, um, Russ was not the worst MVP vote of, of all time or in my like top 10 worst of all time. 
Agreed. Russ's case, Russ's case was 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 okay. It wasn't what I I voted that year when I I was a voter, but I don't hold it against anybody that voted that way the way that some people do. And, and I would I, I would vote for him retroactively. He still would be my vote. So he he is he is at least like a top right. three candidate defensible vote from that year. Right. So. But but one of the things I kind of mentioned is like you know, I was like, well, yeah, just because he averaged a triple double, I'm like, no, 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 he averaged a triple double while leading <laughs> yeah. the league in scoring. Do you know what you have to do to be able to accomplish that? But I do think that if you don't hit 50 wins, there will be this kind of idea of yeah, but your team wasn't that good. Yeah, like you will get hit from so many different se- segments where there will be uh, TV commentators that'll be like, he didn't even win 50 games, and then the analytics folks will be like. Look at his point differential. Like that team's not that good, but this does bring up an interesting, uh, another interesting corollary to this, Brandon, which I think plays into part of the the modern conversation here, which is it's not one of the rules, but I think it adds into how we look at this. I think that how your team plays without you in the era of rest management and injuries is more important than it has ever been. I personally disagree with this notion. I think you should be judged for how your team performed when you were on the court. However, if your team, if you miss 14 games, let's back that off because we're scraping up against the, the numbers there. Um, yeah, 14, 14 is still fine for the 65. Yeah, 14 is fine. 14 is fine for the 65. You miss 14 games and your team goes 3-11. and 11, That actually works in your favor even though you're going to have lost 11 more games than maybe somebody that played at a higher rate, because there is now this, like we do have access to these numbers. And so we do track a lot of how many games did you win when you played versus how bad was your team when you didn't. Now I will say the latter point actually, I think matters even more because if we look at lat again, we go back to last year and what an outlier it was, but we do go back to last year. The order was Jokic, Giannis Embiid in terms of the winning percentage when that guy was on the floor. But I do think there's the perception that without this, this player, that their team is completely doomed and ruined. And I think that if you look at a, a situation and you're like, you're this team absolutely needs him to win. That is a, if you're trying to parse between candidates, I think that's a bonus in that, in that person's favor. And it makes up for maybe some of the raw wins and seating. That's interesting because I actually would interpret it almost the opposite of that. I feel like it actually would, if you're going to miss the 14 games, I think that the, I, I totally agree. The narrative you're saying that, well, look, they're screwed without him. Look how valuable he is to the team is a very easy talking point that we would talk about ourselves on the show. I think, though, at the end of the day, if you're looking at just like, okay, let's put it up on the screen, our three candidates, I would rather my MVP candidate go 11-3 and three when I'm sitting out because that makes me, quote-unquote, look less valuable, but it makes my team win eight more games than it would have if I lost the 11 games. And at the end of the day, now my team just bumped up three spots in the seeding, and now my otherwise five-seed team is a two-seed, and I think I won MVP because of it. 2021, Suns win 51 games. They're the two-seed. Booker averages 25.6 at age 24. Check mark, check mark, check mark. And yet Booker was never really a serious candidate to be considered. And this plays again into it, which is I think the level of talent that your team has plays more than ever into the expectation that you have to reach. I do think like this is one of the things I think is again very odd with the Sixers, because I'm like, that team's really good. They got they've got they've got Harden and Tyrese Maxey and PJ Tucker. Like they and they've all like they have guys and and Tobias Harris. Like they have guys. But the perception, I think, is that the Sixers are like, oh, they're okay, but they've got Embiid, who's amazing, right? I, I and it definitely played a part with 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 both of Jokers. It was a huge part of both of Jokers' uh, candidacies, not only because of the injuries to MPJ and Jamal Murray, but those definitely played a part. But the overall talent perception of the Nuggets, I think, played a very big role in this. We've seen we can go back and we can look at like the 2021. Utah Jazz, no serious candidates, despite the one seed. Like, this is part of the thing is, in order for the wins to be as important as I think you're priming them to be, I think that it would have to be a case where we could look back at all of the teams that have been in that win range and say, oh, um, they had X MVP candidate. Because there haven't been that many many teams that have won like that many games, 54 plus, 
and yet we don't really find that. We find a lot of cases where, yeah, the team won 54 plus, but they didn't have a serious candidate. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah no, I think that's interesting. And it, it gets to a weird spot. And I think this is less true of NBA than other sports like NFL when they do MVP. But there, there's this weird tipping point balance where you're kind of relating to how, how good is your team? How, how many wins did you have? You almost can become too valuable to your team. And if you suddenly are Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills, or not anymore, but Russell Wilson for the Seahawks for many years, as I did MVP in NFL, those guys often are not who I want to vote for, even though I think they are actually the most valuable players to their team because they're too valuable. And now that means like, sorry, sports are hard and one player gets stopped sometimes. And that team usually ends up coming up short. And interestingly, in the NBA, even as you look back, Nikola Jokic did not win MVP, but did win the championship. Giannis won MVP twice, but not the championship year. Like as you go back, I was just looking as you're talking. Obviously, Steph won MVP twice, the two year and one year, not two years, much to my chagrin, not 2016, but 2015, the first Warriors year, they won the title. So one time the MVP won the championship. LeBron in the both of the Heat championship years, they won the title, he won MVP. But I'd go back further, like Kobe, 2008, won the MVP. Did not win the championship that year, made the finals, got back the next couple of years. Like over and over, the, the next one back is Tim Duncan, 2003, where you won an MVP and won the championship. So in a weird way, the better your team actually is at the end of the day, the less likely you have a most valuable player by almost by definition, because especially in the heliocentric era, you guys are doing so much for their teams whether Jokic or Luka or whoever, that then when you compare to a Jason Tatum, a best player on a best team candidate, for example, there's just no world where Tatum's numbers are going to match whoever the super duper heliocentric star is because the whole point is the Celtics are winning more games in theory because they have the other guys on the team and Tatum doesn't have to do as much and that's why they're better. He's not necessarily a worse player because of it, He's just less valuable to the team. And I think we kind of sort that into things as well. So it's it's always a weird balance in this way. Buckets is presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,500 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My next rule has to do with number of games played. So let's jump into the next rule because we've kind of been on that already. So rule number three is is officially an actual rule now, it turns out. MVP's got to play a lot of basketball. Best ability is availability. It's not, that's not real. You, sh- you should be just be good at stuff. That's a better ability. But you got to play on the court. Last 45 seasons, no MVP had missed more than 11 games in the season until... Joel Embiid missed 16 games last year and didn't matter anymore. We didn't care. He's the MVP now. So 45 years prior, we had a 71-game minimum. We now have a mandated 65-game minimum by letter of the law. 
that's, you know, kind of not really, because if it's close, we'd probably count it. And if you played and tried, but you got hurt, maybe we'll count that one. And there's there's some fuzziness there. But 65-ish games by the numbers in that 45-year stretch. That's dating back to Bill Walton in the 70s when he got hurt, but won anyways. Seven MVPs in 45 seasons missed more than six games. That's not a lot. However, five of the last six seasons, that's the seven. So, so that number clearly is not useful anymore. That said, even in the last six years, we're only missing an average of nine games. Embiid was still a real outlier by the number of games he missed. So you got to play to be valuable. Stats like VORPs and things where it counts of you actually being on the court, literally it's volume. It's volume. You got to be out there and play or it doesn't make you as valuable. When we see, when voters look at the end of the year and see X player was slightly less valuable than Y player, but played 500 more minutes, they're going to factor that in. We've heard people factor that in. So here's my question. Did the mandate of 65 games actually lower the standard here so that now anything 65 and up is fine and we're looking at per games where before we kind of had an understood game limit at like 72 and did we actually kind of expand the pool in a weird backwards way? As with most things, I'll say it's voter dependent. I think sure. there are voters that absolutely believe that you need to be you need to play a ton of games. And I'll also say that this is contextual in the sense of if you clear 66, you, you get to 65 or more, but you're at like 66, 67, and the other guy that you're competing with is at 80, guess who gets the nod? the guy right. like that will matter that that will matter and it'll matter more for some than it will for others but i do think that if there's a confirmation bias effect if you're already leaning towards a candidate and he crosses the 65 a lot of people will be like well i don't really care the other guy won eight played 80 games all they say is you gotta play 65 he played 65 yeah he's eligible and so uh, I think it will be it will become an excuse for people Agreed. to ignore the differential in games played. I think it can be a bonus for some to do it. Like Jokic has been remarkably uh, endurant. We'll talk about whether that changes this year or not. But if he were to play 80 and Embiid play 66, there are certain voters that'll be like, well, I don't care. He, he passed the 65. That's all that matters. And so it will, it will definitely be used to excuse, like, I don't think that games play will be as compelling an argument across the board as it used to be because of the implementation of the mandate. Yeah, I agree. And I, personally, I do not like that. I don't like it, but nope. I it, I don't get to make the rules. So as a better, I have to take that into account. I, I feel like I remember two years ago, MVP, when Jokic won, but Embiid finished second. I heard a lot of framing something like this. Well, Nikola Jokic is the MVP but Joel Embiid was the MVP on a per minute basis, right? Did you hear that sort of argument a lot of times where it's like, okay, yeah. well, I've got to give it to Jokic because it's real close and he played a lot more. So that has to be the tiebreaker here. But let me pick both guys by telling you that on a per minute basis, Embiid was better. And maybe he was. I'm not saying he wasn't. But I think that this minimum is going to weirdly empower that line of thinking for the people that are like, you know what? All I'm all I'm treating now is I don't worry about 65, 72, 80, whatever. 65 and up, you're in. That's I, everyone else is off the list. And so now I'm just going to pick the best guy on the court per minute per game. And I I don't like that personally, but I think that we do have to factor it in. I will say too, there's a very low chance Jokic plays 80 games this year. There's very low yeah. chance any of the stars play 80 games cuz that's yeah. not how we do the NBA anymore. So it's not just that Embiid or whoever played 66. It's also that like Jokic only played 73 and yeah. uh, 66, 73. Uh, who really cares? What about those seven games? Like 66 to 80 is a huge gap and should still be factored in 66 to 73 is half of that. It's not nothing, but I think it's a lot easier to wave it off. Rule four is my favorite. This has been transformational for how I look at the award. Hit me with rule four. Yeah, I agree. Rule four is the one that for me rules a lot of people out that otherwise I would want to factor in. So rule number four, MVPs are young, but not too young. Here's what that means. 
this century, 24 MVPs, 20 out of 24 MVPs, 83% of them were aged 24 to 28 in their MVP season. That is a five-year window of NBA Prime that hits 83% of all MVPs. If you're too young, you're probably still winning voters over. You're probably still getting that respect. You maybe aren't on a great enough team yet. So we've got the did you win in the playoffs thing yet. If you're too old, you're probably deteriorating skills a little bit. You are probably at an injury risk increase. You're likely playing fewer games. Maybe that matters a little less now. That's how the the framing has gone is 20 out of 24 at age 24 to 28. Now, just to clarify, and this is important this year in particular, that research is based on your basketball reference age season. And that is defined by February 1 is the cutoff. So if you turn your new birthday before February 1, then like my birthday is in June. I'm 40 right now. So I turn 41 after February 1st. So this would be my age 40 season. I would be very bad. I would not play many minutes. If you turn <laughs> that age afterward, that were before, then your age goes up. So we'll get to why that matters in a second. That age group, 24 to 28, 12 straight MVPs have fallen into that group. All but four this century. And without getting into them, I think personally, the four that hit the outlier range are probably the four most questionable MVPs this century. It's both Steve Nash's. He was in his 30s. It's Kobe. He was 29, just outside the range. And then D. Rose was 22. He's the only MVP since 1983. That's four decades under the age of 24. So that really stands out because, let's give some names now. Anthony Edwards, 22 years old. Zion Halliburton, 23 years old. Historically, you're too young. You are a one in 40 years chance of being MVP for those sort of guys. Meanwhile, Luca, John Morant, though I'm probably not this year with the suspension, they're 24 now. This is their first year of, quote, eligibility by this rule. On the other side, we got a lot more names. Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Curry, Harden, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. All of them are 32 years or older. They are well outside of this age range. Every one of those guys would be the oldest MVP since Carl Malone in 1999. That's a long time, 25 years, since we've had a 32 years old or older MVP. So we led at the top with we've spent five years really living in the Embiid, Giannis, Jokic, Mirgo round of MVPs. Joel Embiid is in his age 29 season. He has aged out of our MVP range. Giannis Antetokounmpo turns 29 on December 6th. This, by <laughs> basketball reference, is his age 29 season, even though he's 28 right now. Nikola Jokic turns 29 on February 19th. This is his age 28 season, by basketball reference. So, Matt Moore, Joel Embiid is one year too old. Giannis is two months too old, and Jokic is three weeks young enough. What do you make of those three players in particular on this age 28 cutoff? I think when we get inside of a year, I think we can probably stretch it, right? So I don't think that if, I don't think that you betting on if you're going to make one bet for the NBA season, which why would you do that? But if you did that and you chose <laughs> Jokic, Jokic, Giannis, and Bede, I don't think that those are bad bets because they fall barely because two of them fall barely outside. Nor do I think that Jokic isn't by himself a good bet because he falls inside this range. I think that. Like, it wouldn't shock me to see somebody win at 29. It wouldn't shock me to see somebody win 30 would be a little bit, would be cutting it close. But I think we can kind of give them a year, I think, uh, of leeway on this, on this, on this rule. You should definitely be like, I'm not as, it, it should tick down your excitement yes. level, your, your confidence in the, in the, in picking yep. and betting. But I don't think it's, uh, we can't treat it as a hard and fast rule. If we're inside of a year, I think once you're at 31, it's like, absolutely not 30. I'd be like, probably not at 29. I'm willing to be like, yeah, okay, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I agree. These rules used to be for me, what I would say, red flags, like, okay, well, you, an MVP in anywhere else. And you've seen over the years where, you know, I, I miss out on an award because I had my rule and a guy broke the one rule. And now I'm still angry about that award afterward. I think now these red flags are maybe orange flags where it's like, okay, well, show caution. 
don't necessarily go to bet them, especially if they're at a short price, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're out. But again, it's not like we have ruled out a certain age group. It's not an ageist award. The age is implying other things that come with it. So relating back to the last rule we just said, is there a chance that the lowered, in some ways, game minimum to 65, could that rule back in some of these older players, maybe a Steph or a Durant, who could get to 67 games where before that would have been a penalty, but now might not be anymore? It's an interesting question. I'm going to only know because I think that once you start once you start be, being a player that needs to be load managed because of your age, then it's like, all right, you load manage for 10 games, that gets you to, to 72. Then you were injured for eight games and now you're out of it. Right. Like these kind of of or, you know, 10 games and then and then you're out of it. So like these types of numbers, I think, are where yeah. we start to, to run into the problems. Right. Of um, of how this kind of works out. So I right. still think that I still think the age parameter of of definitely no older than 29 is where we should absolutely hold it as far as especially when we're establishing preseason bets. Yeah. So just to give you an idea of some names that fall into the age range, we've talked about who didn't. So. I'll give you a spoiler alert on our part B here. I had a really hard time narrowing down who do I actually think is going to win MVP this year because I really am pretty holding to this rule still. And that rules out Embiid for me pretty firmly because I had plenty of other orange flags with him anyway. And I think it rules out Giannis for this and a couple of other reasons. And it makes me not love Jokic as a candidate necessarily. But we've literally just spent half a decade in these three guys, like my conclusion on this episode a year ago was build your position around these three dudes. That was the position. That was the conclusion. These are the only three guys I'm betting on. And those are the only three guys that really the whole conversation was all year. It was spot on this year. It isn't because we have this weird mix of like, not necessarily the greatest players in the league right now in the age range. So and B29, Giannis 28 and a half, Jokic 28. That's those three. Here's the rest of the age range. Tatum is 25, Booker 27, Luca 24. He's in this year. Shea is 25. I know we'll get to him. A little further down the list, Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young, Carl Anthony Towns, John Morant is 24, Fox and Sabonis, both in this range for the Kings. Jalen Brunson, 27. These are good players. These are all stars. These are guys we send to the World Cup that don't win. Like that's unfortunately the, this kind of how I think about a lot of the names we got to near the end of the list here is like eh, if you're not gonna be the superstar and the best player in the court at a World Cup game, you might not be the MVP, right? Like that's the new Jeff Foxworthy setup for a joke, I guess. So I don't know. I have a hard time. MVP is sacred, right? Like you gotta be the best player in the league or one of the names at the top of the list. And I I don't really get there with this group outside of those top names you did your elite 100 and i believe you had tatum six booker seven does that sound right to you yes what about luca was he higher or lower than that group he's higher he's fourth okay so those are the guys but it's not no no one in the top three is in this group if Jokic, Giannis, and b don't fit the group so to me that's a question i've really struggled with this year that we'll get to on the candidates let me get to rule number five, because this is the one where I've got kind of some new data that I think is interesting. This is the last rule. So rule number five, MVPs rarely come out of nowhere. So let me explain that in about uh, three different ways here. So what does it mean to not come out of nowhere? So number one, past MVP voting is predictive. How did you finish in the race previously? In the last 15 years, 13 out of 15 MVP winners finish in the top six the previous year. Top six. We're down to six guys right now. And by the way, last year, Embiid, Jokic, Giannis, Tatum, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Donovan Mitchell. Interesting. Those were names on our age list we just talked about. Top six last year, 87%. You're the MVP the next year. Top four or better, it goes up to... Sorry, that's, I believe, 11 out of 15. Yeah, 11 out of 15, top four or better, 73%. So you want to be getting MVP votes. And that same group of 15, eight out of our 15 MVPs were top two the previous year. So that's just Embiid and Jokic. This is not really shocking, right? Like the NBA is not about these crazy 
you know, back to NFL, we don't get the Lamar Jackson year where you come out of nowhere and then go back to nowhere for a while. You are a superstar and then you hang out for a while at the superstar level. Derek Rose being an exception, but because of injury, like normally you get to the top and you stay in the mix. So outside of those eight out of 15, really the other ones are mostly the breakout years. It's the first Steph MVP. It's the first Giannis MVP, the first Jokic MVP. It is that Derrick Rose breakout. There's uh, the LeBron post-decision year, which he was not in the top voting for other reasons, let's say. So interesting that we need maybe the breakout candidate if you're going to come from off the list. And then one other thing on this one here, every MVP since 1969 has had at least one MVP vote previously except for Derrick Rose. In 1969 was Wes Unseld, who, you know, was a rookie. So you can't get votes before you are in the NBA to win the NBA MVP. Not a lot of names ruled out here, but notably Trey Young, potentially. Kyrie Zion. Anthony Edwards has never had an MVP vote. Evan Mobley, who I believe I stupidly put like a .1 unit on last year. And of course, our guy Victor Wembanyama, no previous votes. So uh, I just want to be clear on this. When you say no votes before, do you mean did not place on the ballot, did not get a point in the ballot? It's Correct. not number one votes, right? Just no, like, not number get... ones, no vote at all previously. No. Every MVP right. other than Rose since 1970 has gotten at least on a ballot at some point. All right, what else is predictive? Uh, my stat box plus minus BPM is predictive. Uh, we'll get to yours EPM in a second. Everyone but Giannis and Derrick Rose out of the last 15 have been at at least 7.4 BPM the year before winning. That number may not mean anything particular to you. It doesn't really to me, except that's the threshold. So last year, 7.4 and up includes guys like Jokic Embiid, Luka, Jimmy Butler, Giannis, Steph Curry, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is at 7.3. Pretty much you could just say the rule is 7.3 and then he fits in. That's interesting. Jason Tatum, 5.5. What does this mean? What do the numbers mean? Nothing in a vacuum, but they get back to that Elite 100 thing a little bit where it's like, well, are you the seventh best player? Are you, or are you the third or fourth best player that could win MVP? That little slice matters to me. Do you think it matters to you at all there? Uh, I mean, I think most of the metrics are going to, are going to indicate guys that are in the running. Like that's one of the things that annoys me the most is when people say like, it's got this player third. And it's like, yeah, but look at the overall history of this metric and how it's performed. But you also know me, man, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, you, you know, the, you know, the number I want. You want the EPM. So let's do the EPM. I did this last night at like two in the morning, just for you, Matt. I got the Thank EPM you. numbers. EPM only goes back since 2014. So we're only going off of... This is over at dunksandthrees.com. Right. I I agree. EPM is is better. It's just not as easily accessible as possible reference. So EPM is a good measure, another all-in-one stat. So nine MVPs we have to go off of that we can see the year they won and the previous year. All nine MVPs, so 2015 forward, finished top 10 in EPM the year before winning. So 100% hit rate, you had to be in the top 10. Four of the nine MVPs were top two the year before. So kind of similar to BPM where in past voting, like if you were top two, we should be taking you pretty seriously as a clear candidate, duh, because you were that good last year. Here's the top 10 in EPM last year. Jokic Embiid, one and two, duh, we kind of knew that. Damian Lillard, number three, Jimmy Butler. It'd be fun if those guys were on the same team. Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic, Steph, Giannis, Kevin Durant, LeBron James. That's your top 10 EPM. Some notable names not in the top 10. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, number 11. Our friend Shea loves to hang out on the fringe of all the metrics I'm finding. Jason Tatum, number 13. Again, not quite on the list here, though notably was eighth the year before, so he has been there. Zion, 16th. Donovan Mitchell, 19th. Devin Booker, 25th. That's that's a hike. That's a ways down the list for Booker for a guy that I know we're going to want to talk about. So MVP in these last 10 years, the year that they won, which is not helpful right now, but as you watch during the season, six out of 10 MVPs were the number one player by EPM. 
60%. And the other guys were all top five. So we've got six number ones, a two, a three, a four, and a five. So as the season gets on, if you are looking in February, if your dude is not on EPM at dunks and threes in the top 10, he's got no shot. And he's not in the top five and real close to the top, he probably is out as well. I think that a good way to contextualize this, and we'll talk about this again when we get to part two, is I when I started putting bets in, I took the age parameters and then sorted by EPM. The idea here, I want to be very clear on this. We are not saying EPM tells you who is the MVP. We're not telling you that voters are looking at EPM and deciding based off of that. Because again, Nikola Jokic would have won MVP. We're <sighs> telling you that this metric has had a high correlation yep. with who the voters have chosen. That whatever it is that the voters are looking for, EPM has reflected that in its metric that more than wind shares way more than a metric like PER. Um, it has had a strong correlation to who the voters have chosen. And that's why I've leaned so far into it. As far as a betting guide is that this yeah. metric better than any other one that I've seen. And it's like, I've asked the, I, I, as much as I use stats, like I'm not an analytics creator. I'm not an analytics uh, provider, I use it in the analysis. So I've talked to people in the league, in media, and asked them their thoughts, and they've all been like, yeah, EPM's great. Like, it's not, nothing is a cure-all. You gotta take all sorts of context, blah, blah, blah. Toolbox, etc. But EPM comes, grades out very well amongst those metrics, and it has reflected very strongly in this. So, uh, when we start to cross-reference these rules is where I think we can kind of find some yep. value, um, even with some of these guys being outside the top 10. Yep. And to your point, in that top 10, if we look at the age 24 to 28 group, depending on how we're going to expand it, Jokic and Bidianis are in there. But in the top 10 EPM, the only other guy left on the list is not Dame, not Butler, not Kawhi, no Steph, Giannis, LeBron, it's Luca. That's it. So that's a little uh, ellipsis yeah. toward a name that time we're going to get to later. Real quick, just a couple other corollary things I've noticed here. Back-to-back MVP. Good. Three MVPs in a row. Bad. Bad. We can't do it. Never again. Larry Bird, and that's it. The last 15 years, we've had five pairs of back-to-back winners. So maybe that just means Joel Embiid should be the winner again, because historically, (laughs) if you win MVP once, you are very likely to win it second, way more likely than anyone else. So just that's just a data point. Here's an interesting one I hadn't thought of before. So Jokic obviously did not win MVP last year. Giannis has not won it for three years. Who is the last player to win MVP, not win it for a season, and then win another MVP later? LeBron. Correct. And LeBron won two in a row, missed for a year, won two in a row again. Many would say, myself included, he should have won the year he didn't. It was a probably post-decision narrative-based thing. That's the year Derrick Rose won. How about before that? Who's the last player before LeBron to win MVP, miss at least a year, and win another one? Malone's were, I think it's... Malone is correct, but there is one since him. And I'll just give it to you. It's Michael Jordan. He stepped away from the sport for a few years. He's good. (laughs) He's good. He also won MVP after he came back, missed a year because we did the Carl Malone thing, and then won another MVP. But that's it, though. Since Moses in the early 80s, so again, four decades... The only players in four decades to win MVP and then not for whatever reason and then win MVP again later is Michael Jordan and LeBron James, the two greatest players in the history of the sport. And so history says Jokic is done and Giannis is done. According to that rule, unless you think one of those guys is in that group, which we had some conversations about with Jokic in particular, the way the playoff run that he had. But I hadn't really noticed that before as you know, we have to take Jokic and Giannis seriously. They are, Jokic is the favorite right now. Giannis is at some books second favorite. History says that that would be an outlier. What do you think about this one? I'm really fascinated. I'm excited to get into the the conversation as far as this goes with Jokic because it was such an outlier. It was such a unique vote that we're going to remember and reference for a long time. 
Like there's going to be a lot of lingering effects from the bullshit that we had to put up with, with the MVP race this year. And I wonder if there's going to be a course correction from the voters after seeing how badly they fucked this up. Um, and you can like, I don't even think necessarily that like the playoffs prove that they messed it up. They were wrong in the moment, but according to most people's logic, they're going to be like, Oh no. Like that was <laughs> sixth round was a rough one for, for folks that, that had MVP votes this year. Um, you got anything else before we get out of here? No, just, just to summarize the rules. If you're looking for MVP profile to wrap this thing up, we want a guy scoring 25 or more points a game. We need a top three seed at least. We need to win a lot of games. You got to play probably 70-ish games, definitely at least 65. And then we need age 24 to 28 with all the metrics. So we will start out our next podcast with that profile and then see who fits. All right, we'll see you on the next episode of Buckets where we will break down who our best bets are for the MVP this season. This has been an hour on process. I'm, I'm sure our producers absolutely love that. But it's been a good conversation. I think it's important for you guys to get having a sense of what our thinking is and how to approach this market. There's a lot of money to be made in MVP. There's a lot of money to be made in MVP, but you got to have a smart way to look at it, and hopefully we provide you with that. We'll see you guys again next time. My thanks to David Payne, our producer, as well as our Crack Video team that puts all these shows up on YouTube. Make sure to download the Action Network app and check out the Action Network YouTube page. Give us those five-star reviews. We appreciate you guys so much. We'll see you guys again. Till then, let's get buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.